This is Peak Earth. I'm Case Bradford. Thank you for tuning in to this episode with Texas Slim. Slim is the founder of the Beef Initiative, and he's on a mission to save children's lives. You'll understand what we mean by that as you listen to this episode. I really enjoy listening to Slim. He's, he's got a powerful mission, great story to share, deep wisdom. He's been around the block, and knows what he's talking about from firsthand experience. He talks the talk and walks the walk, and the Beef Initiative is a platform for American ranchers to offer the best quality food, beef, to the American populace so that we can revitalize, we can escape this fiat food system, this broken food system that we've been suffering under for so long. You can buy beef with Bitcoin on the Beef Initiative, so we've got sound food, sound money, and it's just powerful what is going on over there and grateful to have had the opportunity to connect with Slim, learn his story, share it with everyone listening here. There are a few phrases that he mentions in this conversation. Decentralize your mindset, quit validating the deception and get to the source of the seed. Go shake your rancher's hand, get connected to your food system and collaborate. Let's work together and create a cooler world. Food is a big part of that. Beef is a big part of that, and we can all play a part. If you'd like to contribute to Peak Earth in any way, you can share an episode. That's always awesome. You could leave a five-star review on Spotify or Apple. Always tremendous. And don't have to do anything. Really appreciate you listening, tuning in. Thank you. I hope you enjoy this episode with Texas Slim. How are you? I'm doing well, man. It's uh, it's Labor Day weekend. Somebody told me so. It's, <laughs> it's <laughs> going into the weekend, feeling pretty good, man. How are you? Stoked, stoked to connect. I, I really admired and, and respect the work that that you've been doing with Beef and Ifshiv and and the entire story that they, I've heard you relay on on various podcasts. It, it's incredible what 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 you've done. I think it's really powerful. So I appreciate you taking the time to connect with me and, and share your story with everyone listening and 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 with me so that I can and learn more about what you're up to and, and how you go about it. No, I appreciate that feedback. It's hard to kind of see perspectives from where I am. And, you know, me being a little bit older and wiser, I found that all you got to do is really just tell your story in a very authentic and transparent way. And basically my purpose right now is, you know, my mission is the beef initiative. And that came through a lot of uh, suffering that I had to face and a lot of suffering individually, but also a lot of suffering of our, our nation. A lot of suffering of a lot of children, a lot of uh, young people in this nation. And, you know, it, it's, kind of, it's kind of put us in a position, I think, right now to where a lot of people's lives are, may, maybe their, their intentions are a little bit compromised. And, you know, kind of, we need to look at that. And that's something that, you know, I like to talk about. And it's like, what is the Beef Initiative and what is its why? And how are we moving forward, you know? And it's good to get good feedback from people that are being intentional with their, you know, with their behavior. As, as I say, the consumption model in which they live their lives now, you know, times are different than they used to be. And uh, there's a lot of things that people get very confused about. So appreciate you having me on. When you mentioned the, the beef initiative, I remember when I first came across it and I thought, wow, that's, that's cool not really sure what it is. Hadn't heard about it before, but it's intriguing because I'm seeing a convergence between Bitcoin and beef, two things that are really talked bad about by, by the mainstream media, which leads sure. to one of two conclusions. One, oh, these things must be bad if the mainstream media is talking bad about it. Two, a different perspective is, oh, these things must be good if the mainstream media is talking bad about it because <laughs> it really depends on, on the level of... Uh, awakening, I guess you could say, more people are waking up to the fact that we're living in this illusion created by large corporations, big business, as it's called. And, and this is happening in, you know, various areas of our economy, big pharma, big food, um, sure. big money. And, and these things are all, you know, you could say it's a conspiracy and it absolutely is. They are colluding together to make more money, which has been devastating the American population, just as you described children, people of all ages, you look around, you see the tremendous amount of ill health that we're experiencing. And it is due to these two key factors that you've isolated, the food and the money, the beef and the Bitcoin are the way that we're going to regenerate as a nation. And the beef initiative is a powerful way to encapsulate those two concepts. 
Yeah, I love I love hearing it because you know I saw that I had my aha moment. You know when I I'd been doing food intelligence and just for people out there that don't know where I come from, you know I come from you know the dirt roads of West Texas, but I you know at a very young age I was embedded myself into Austin, Texas, and I I basically embedded myself into a new industry that nobody really knew what was coming, and it was the technology industry. So coming from agriculture and ranching from West Texas, well, half of my life was also spent in big tech and I became a very good research analyst. And so, you know, talking about, you know, getting insight, where are we as a nation? You know, it was not planned to basically uncover a lot of truths. And I used a lot of skill sets from how I was raised and, you know, where my ancestral, you know, upbringing comes from is agriculture and ranching. But also, you know, being able to use the new modern day uh, technology back then and into now is really it's it, it was a gift. And I didn't know it for the longest time, but it took a little suffering to get there. And, you know, you talk about the mainstream media, you know, I, I don't I haven't watched a freaking TV in four years. And I really, really, you know, throughout those years, nothing comes through these ears or these eyes that I don't basically filter. I'm my own filter. I'm not relying on anybody else. And of course, that takes time to get there because the information that is being shopped around right now is is part of a bigger movement. And I've been around the, the, the world the last several years. I've, you know, just this year alone, I've been on three continents, two hemispheres. You know, I'll be completing that round the world trip in, uh, in November, December. But what's going on now is a global movement. Uh, it is involving money and it is involving food in ways that people don't understand. And those people that are about to unfold this, I call it a global industrial food shift and a global monetary reset. It is happening. People don't know how to look at those things separately or jointly. And that's what something I found out when I started doing my research that led started with food intelligence, but then it led into Bitcoin. And I'd known Bitcoin and was out there, but I really hadn't paid attention to it, even being the technologist that I am, I just didn't give it, you know, enough attention. And it requires focus and intention, not the type of focus that you're going to get on mainstream media. It takes proof of work. It takes diving into. And that's the beauty of it is that it's not this instant gratification. It goes back to where I was raised with delayed gratification, low time preference, patience with persistence. Learning something with, you know, the way that you know how to learn and associate with things. And so if you look at Bitcoin that way, let's look at food the same way, because that's how much food has changed in my lifetime. I've seen both sides of these spectrums. I was born in the late 60s, early 70s. That's whenever we had a monetary reset back then, we went off the gold standard. Well, at that time, nobody really understood that that was also a food industrial shift that has led to the ill health of a nation. And you follow the, na the health of a nation and our, the, the devaluation of our dollar, it's the same chart down. And what are those correlations? What are the associations? Who is in control of that? How is the consolidation and centralization of our food and our money taking place in my lifetime? I get to tell everybody. I come from experience. So I'm in a very good vantage point in the middle of I have a fantastic nutritional core system because I was raised eating the earth, meaning I raised I was raised eating beef and and, and produce from the farm itself. And so that was very natural and we're not like that as a nation anymore. Back then our dollar had far more value than it does now. But uh, right now this monetary reset's gonna get pretty shitty. People are going to start paying attention to it. And I think a lot of people are starting to use your words. You know, the, there's an awakening going. And so where are you going to choose to focus on solutions or a lot of the nefarious fear, anxiety, deceptions that the mainstream, you know, apparatus, you know, really pumps into our audio and our video every day of our life. With that, there's there, there's food that's basically about to go 
you know, we've overfed a nation and we've nutritionally starved a nation at the same time. And that was done by the commoditization and the subsidization of our food systems. And, and it's daunting, but you know, I, when I started this, I knew that I can't bitch and moan about this. I have to present the case and then I have to provide a solution. That's the only way I was ever raised. It's a great way to look at the world and many more could use that perception. And yeah. to be, even if they weren't raised that way, they can adopt, they can adapt to that style of, of living. And it sounds like this is what led you to create the beef initiative. What, what was it like in, in the early days, getting that going, getting it off the ground? Well, back in the day, I'll use Texas as a good example to give perspectives. And right now we'll just talk about beef in general. We won't talk about the broader agricultural complex. Let's just focus on animal protein and beef. I come from West Texas. This is cattle country. That's why I started the beef initiative is because I'm from cattle country, right? So, you know, and that's what I want everybody to know. You can start with whatever you feel that you're associated with. It was my upbringing. I was raised with the freezer full of beef. We knew where the beef came from. It was either from a farmer rancher that we knew. It was somebody in our community. It was very simple. It wasn't, we didn't have words regenerative. We didn't have grass fed. We just had local. Hey, that's local beef from most so-and-so. And it was well, it was, it was all cows eat grass. I've never known a cow that didn't eat grass. So everything that basically it's very simple, but also by saying that state of Texas has 254 counties. We used to have 254 processing centers in the state of Texas. Those were micro processing centers. What they did is they processed the beef locally, kept it locally, and then maybe expanded out. Well, today we have four multinational processing uh, corporations, basically multinational corporations that process 85% of our animal protein in the United States. None of those companies are basically American companies. We have now foreign countries and multinational corporations in control of all of our animal protein in the United States. This has happened over 50 years. It's not normal. This is something that, you know, Mike Calicrate, I believe you probably have seen him. Maybe, I don't know. He's in agriculture. But I've been saying this for a while, and he's saying it, and other people are saying it. Our, basically, the control of our animal protein now is now starting to be looked at as a hazard to our national security because it has basically something to do with our health. And whenever we have multinational corporations that have the power that they have in lobbying and that they have the power of basically being the bottleneck of being able to do be a rancher producer that I used to do and I knew and that we're trying to get back to. If you have that much control in the consolidation that they do have and the unlimited amount of money and lobbying, then we're kind of screwed and people don't realize this yet. And within the beef initiative, I knew this because I know what's coming down the pipe with money and with the global industrial food shift with doing the research analysis that I've done. You know, what's unfolding right now, they've got six years head start on the general public's understanding. And that's been my challenge is to get people to wake up. But I think there is starting to be a little bit of awakening. This is going to be a global industrial food shift. And how we stop it is to quit basically giving our consumer dollar to those multinational corporations and basically invert it back into where it used to be. It used to be spent locally. It was the purest form of protein that you could get and you kept it within your community. You kept your health within your community. You didn't shop it out across the world and hope that it came back to you with a nice little label saying heart healthy or grass fed or organic. And so all of those labeling laws, they've been corrupted too. You know, the FDA allows thousands of chemicals into our ingestion, our consumption model. And they don't ever have to tell us what those are. Who's behind that? Multinational chemical and grain companies, multinational animal protein processing companies. They're all the same. And the general public better wake up and understand this. Like I say, a lot of people might not even care. But there's a group of people out there in the United States that really do care about nutrition, health and truth in food. And that's what we're bringing back to, to basic mindsets first. And then we give market access to that thought and then market access to producers and ranchers all across the nation.
tremendous. And when I reached out to you, connected, we started planning this podcast, I sent a message to Harry of the Meat Mafia. He was the first episode on, on this podcast, and he got his start writing for you. And in, in a way, yes. you, you helped launch that, you know, the entire Meat Mafia, what it is today. Mm-hmm. You, you, you were a, a strong part of being the, the catalyst for that. And he recommended asking you about the processing facilities that you're creating with uh, sure. Cole Bolton. And yeah. in order to kind of address exactly what you just described, because anyone listening is going to think, wow, that's, that's not a good situation. So sounds like you're, you're taking this one head on. Yeah. And what, what the, that's what we really, that's what I'm really going to be talking. And thanks to Harry and Brad. I haven't talked to those guys in a long time. I've uh, been very busy. Uh, yeah. They did start writing for the, the Substack, the Harvest of Deception series. That's what basically started all this. And that's what, you know, I'd, I'd embedded myself in a harvest company and went and did harvest to get a little bit closer to the source of the seed of all the bullshit that's going on. But anyways, they did start writing and they came to me. And so I I, I accommodated because this is a big collaboration. But going back to the processing centers, you know, this is kind of a perspective that people need to understand. It, It doesn't matter how good of a farmer and rancher you are. If you don't have market access and throughput to be able to harvest your animals, doesn't matter who you are, man, you're not going to be in business. And that's the plan. That's consolidation and centralization. And there's two pioneering rancher producers in the beef initiative. And that one was Cole Bolton, as you said, of K&C Cattle and Hometown Meats in Luling, Texas. He's a regional processing center. He is part of the beef initiative. He was a pioneering rancher that came in And then also at the same time, the first rancher producer that I ever shook hands with, which is the big thing that I tell everybody to go, was Justin Trammell of basically Trammell Cattle and Tear Bloom and Rancher Storefront Panhandle Meats up here in the Panhandle. They're both independent. Either Cole is a USDA processing center and Justin is a localized Texas certified processing center. So there's two different ones. Justin's only doing basically less than 30 cows a week as far as harvest. He only wants to feed basically a 30-mile radius. He wants to feed his local community. Cole is a little bit bigger to where he he wants to feed Texas. And then uh, with our partnership, you know, he's helping me uh, white label a brand uh, through his beef, his protocol of beef, and it's called Texas Slim's Cuts. He's really focusing on Texas, and then I get to talk to the nation, and I want to be the entry point to people to have market access to the best, cleanest beef in the nation, and then they can scale back and try to find somebody in their communities. So we're serving local communities, Justin, Cole, me, but we're also serving the nation right now as an entry point to where everybody can really, really start building out locally And then that way, you know, I'm trying to broadcast globally what's going on starting here in Texas with processing centers. The processing centers are the center of the universe of a lot of our issues within our food systems and especially within the cattle industry, the hog industry and the poultry industry. And that's one one responsibility I have this next year is to really focus on processing centers and the importance of them. And that if you don't have full access to a processing center, you will be compromised in a lot of different ways, no matter who you are. If you're a carnivore influencer, you better make sure you start giving credit to those uh, producers and ranchers and supporting them and helping all producers and ranchers have a throughput through a processing center that's not controlled by the multinational corporations. You know what's absolutely amazing to me, and and you really touched on it there, is how the food that ends up on most people's plates is coming from all over the world. And our food that we grow locally gets shipped all over the world. You bet. Like at this moment, food going everywhere, all over the world, it makes no sense. And even when you look at prices, the, the food at the grocery store is often less expensive if it's coming from Ireland or from New Zealand than the stuff that's from, you know, 100, 500 miles away. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make any sense at all. Well, there is no logic in that, and people don't know why that happens, okay? The beef that we eat today at the supermarket, well, those contracts were signed on a governmental level four years ago, okay? What we did in the 70s is we commoditized and subsidized our food in such a way, whenever you say the word subsidization, what does that mean? It means it it doesn't really matter. You're getting an 
influx of extra cash flow into that subsidized product, what have we subsidized our whole agricultural industry? And what does that mean? Well, it means that the multinational corporations have ways and means to make that food extremely cheap to process. It's cheaper to have a, let's say catfish born in Texas, spawned in Texas, shipped to China, fed excrement from hogs in China, and basically raised in China, shipped back to Texas, then sold as basically Texas catfish, but a product of China, but they don't have to say that. And so it's cheaper, I mean, to ship it, to do everything than just raise our own food locally. Well, the multinational corporations and our government, our USDA, everybody has commoditized and subsidized the system to where we've made cheap, extremely, extremely cheap to produce. But the profit margins are astronomical for these multinational corporations because they've thinned out the value and nutrition of that food so much with ingesting fake commodities. We all know seed oils, high fructose corn syrup. How many new fake commodities have they injected into our food system? Just take one thing, canola oil. How many billions and billions of dollars do they make off of canola oil? It's rapeseed. FDA outlawed it in 1956, right? So why are we now it's one of the our biggest basically fake commodities that's in, in, injected into every food source that we consume well it's because it makes extremely um, high profit levels that way you don't have to have as much substance in that food and then if you can make it taste good then everybody that's what they're going to consume and that's where we've gotten is is our uh, our food systems on that corporate level that a lot of people don't understand. How can it be so cheap? Well, you're paying for it to be cheap through your tax dollars. That's why it's subsidized. That's a tough one. You think the best solution there is some sort of political action to remove the subsidies or sort of reallocate them the to bit, more localized? No, you, we're not gonna change what's going on in our, our, our one world food group. Uh, there's a one world food group that, like I said, we're, we're way behind as far as the understanding what's unfolding. Um, by saying that, the best political action you can do is with your dollar, is with your consumer demand. And the best thing that you can kind of take away maybe from this podcast is that the closer that you can be with the people that produce your food, that's the only thing you really need to worry about. And everybody goes, it's too complicated, it's too this. Well, tough shit is what I say, because you know what? Take your chances. I don't know. I'm not a soothsayer. I don't know what's going to happen. I know what they're planning. And the best way to not basically participate is do quit validating the deceptions that you know exist and do not even act like they do exist. So that means you have to go out there and steward new market access to nutrition in a way you probably didn't think you were going to have to. But if you do it now, you're going to secure something a lot of people are not going to be able to secure in the long run. So make it a hobby, make it a call to action, make it a lifestyle, make it whatever you make it a business. You know, whatever you need to do is you need to dissect basically how you can decentralize your food systems, no matter where you live. And, and that's what I do as far as shipping beef across the United States with Cole Bolton and the KNC cattle is so we do give people that access but then they can go out there and engineer their own market access to something closer, something that fits their consumption model. Powerful. Make it a call to action. And this exact message has been echoed by previous podcast guests like Dr. Bill Schindler, Dr. Anthony Gusson. Get connected to the local food system. That's where the deepest nourishment will be found. And I love what you said there about quit validating the deception. You know this deeper than anybody with the undercover work that you did with the harvest of deception. Mm -hmm. you, we got to quit validating these deceptions man yeah it, it's almost like we're suffering through the massive a massive stockholm syndrome you know and that's that's basically you're you're, you're basically asking your your kidnapper or your you know your your whoever has got you trapped mentally or physically would you treat please just treat me better would you please just give me you know that breath of fresh air or that glass of water and just it won't hurt as much next time well, once again, 
you know, we get into psychological behavior. My father was a counselor for almost 30 years. I did a lot of behavioral studies in big tech working in telecommunications. The best thing you can do for yourself as an individual is quit looking across the world for solutions. All the answers are within, but until you can get to that mindset, acceptance. Acceptance is the key. If you can accept that the food is screwed up, well, then that means that you need to accept and create a new, basically, uh, pathway into a different consumption model. I always tell everybody, your consumption model is your audio, your video, and your food. You're, they're correlated. And, you know, that's, that's, that's human behavior. And so once you quit validating deceptions, when you can validate that basically and accept that it's kind of screwed up, then you do have a call to action. Some people get that through that through suffering. Some people do it through financial means. Some people do it because they have to live in a different part of the world, different part of the country. Everybody has their entry point, like I say. But once you quit validating those, ex those deceptions and you can accept that you need to make a change, I think the biggest power move in people's lives right now with all the fear, all the anxiety, all the unknowns, start with truth and food your life improves automatically. Your behavior changes. Your consumption model changes in ways that you can't project. Quit trying to project out. Start with the source of the seed of a solution and accept that you need to do it. And that's a good protocol of taking those first steps that a lot of people, are, I feel, are basically trapped and they're asking the wrong people. They're asking their torturers, please, just not so much next time. That's, that's, that's not the answer, man. Dang, that is, that is deep and, and true. And it does require courage and, and creativity to be able to reject the deception and embrace the power of the local system. And, and you yourself, you're someone who's doing it with, with a ton of creativity and courage. It's a heroic journey that you're on, not just with the Beef Initiative, but how you present yourself and, and speak compellingly and charismatically on various podcasts and through social media. How did you as, as an individual find that courage and creativity and, and power within yourself to, to share it out there like that? That's no, that's a good question, Case, because, you know, I didn't talk till I was five, uh, very shy most of my life. Uh, observed. I, I, I always have been a very good person that, you know, practices observational science. And uh, I always had stage fright my whole life. But once I basically accepted that I had to move forward with this type of, there was no script for anything that I'd, I've done. This was me listening to my heart and making promises and staying basically accountable to what I promised myself that I would do. My why was very, very concretely set. And so I said, well, you're going to have to learn to learn how to speak. I had to learn how to be presentable. And, and that's something that has, has helped me on this journey. Over the last two years, I've done over 23 conferences, summits. Uh, I've done many, many speaking engagements. Uh, man, I just, you take ownership of it. And once you take ownership of something, you don't make excuses anymore. You don't rationalize and justify why you can't. You basically rationalize and justify why you will. And, and it's something that, you know, I, I take on gladly now. And, and, and it gives me a voice that I probably never allowed myself to have. And it's backed by a mission that I believe in. It's basically my lifestyle. So whenever you truly believe in something, it's pretty easy to, to articulate it and to be able to communicate it. And you get better and better at it. But I wasn't a public speaker. I was not a podcaster. Everything I had to do, I had to basically just school of hard knocks, I guess. And um, hopefully I'm getting better at it. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, on, on the surface level, we can say some some of the things that we need to do is, is get back to sound food, sound money. And, and at this deeper level with the awakening, it's like people need to also embrace the, their beliefs, you know, on and, and share it out yeah. through the world because there are a lot of people who are sort of quietly and silently doing this, but then they're not telling their friends, they're not telling their family, they're not expressing themselves even on social media, which can change people. So, I mean, that's that's a whole other layer too, where when people become really in, embracing this and, and the activists for it, they can, that's how we can really create more, more ripple effects. So I've seen this play out in my life. I 
wasn't used to in this stuff at all. And then I got into it and I'm helping other people kind of turn on and then those people, they turn on. That's how we really create a lot of change on, on another level with this, with this whole movement in America is, is get being creative, being cur- courageous, following, following in the steps that you laid out there to, to embrace these things that are a little bit different, but not validating the deception and embracing the more powerful path. Yeah, and that's what I think that they, it's it's part of the social engineering that has happened, you know, in the digital world, especially with the younger generations. Let's just talk about men. Uh, you know, everybody thinks they need to ask for permission. They think that uh, they don't have the right to be able to stand tall or not at all. That's what I, I tell everybody. It's like, hey, man, if you're going to do something, stand tall or not at all, man. You, you're projecting out. We have a we have a fear of failure that I, I've, I've never really, it's, it's something that's new. It's been engineered into our, our social, you know, uh, inabilities of, of basically expressing who we are or what we stand for. People are afraid of getting canceled. Uh, basically a lot of it does come from nutritional starvation. If you're, if you're a dude out there, you know, sucking down pizza pockets and chicken tendies every day, you're not going to be as basically confident as some dude out there eating a tomahawk every day. It's just, that's, that's where we came from folks. And, you know, I'm, I'm not a carnivore. Uh, you know, I've, 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 I've looked at vegetarianism, veganism has nothing to do with that. What it has to do is that we, we basically, we were hunters and we learned how to chase down things for days upon days and we found fire and we found red meat and our brains got bigger and our stomachs got smaller. We got stronger. We got more bold. We got more ingenuity, you know, the ingenuity, you know, expanded innovations happened. And I just don't argue that with anybody because it's, it's, it's something that's proven. And really everything that I do is proof of work. I'm in my fifties and I see dudes in their twenties, thirties and forties across this nation and this is a new thing in humanity. This has never happened in the history of mankind. This is something that has happened over the last 50 years. And once again, people need to get a right perspective. What's going on is not natural. And we got to get back to the source of the seed of where we came from. And I'll speak to men right now because that's who you're speaking to. You need to quit the bullshit and you need to really pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Quit making excuses. I liquidated my life to do the beef initiative. That was my choice. And I think a lot of people are afraid to go there. I tell everybody, you better start engineering your own suffering before that suffering gets engineered upon you. And so take the opportunity to have a voice. Take the opportunity to create a new consumption model. Create an opportunity to have a new pathway in this overly centralized and consolidated world. And if you do that now, then you will become something. You will see a reflection of yourself that you've never seen before or allowed because you're not, you don't have the huevos to get up and, and, and do something. And so once you have that power of thought, because that's where it comes from, I even told Harry and Brett, I said, hey, man, if y'all, you're not in the end zone yet, act like you're in the end zone already, you'll get there. And I think they pretty much have in a lot of different ways. They, they, they're, they're, they're pioneering and they, they have a lot to learn as we all do. But if you can stand tall or not at all, then your life will change with the right consumption model and the right intentions and the right focus. And that's not something you learn at the freaking university, man. This is a school of hard knocks. It's called life. And it's, it's basically, it's not done in the gym. I go to the gym. But I guarantee I'm more cowboy and farm tough than I am anything as far as being institutional or academic. Nah, man, I come from the dirt, man. That's it. I've listened to your podcast and a couple episodes you described yourself as a hippie punk cowboy, which I really like. That that resonates with me. I see myself as a little bit of a hippie punk, right. not a cowboy, but maybe some other things. But it's, it's a great description. And I'm curious how you kind of got to that and what it was like growing up in, in, in West Texas. Yeah, it, well, it, it, this was crazy times because the 70s was the decade of divorce. It was definitely a, an experiment of pop culture. We had disco. We had all kinds of things. That the, you know, we'd just gotten over the damn 60s, the, the CIA op that that was. And so we moved right into, you know, killing the farms, killing the ranches, uh, killing the family in the ways that we never had seen before. So my father rode Harleys. He grew up cowboying. You know, I had motorcycles. 
I had horses, we had cows, we had uh, Waylon, Willie, and the boys singing Lukenbach, Texas. And so you had this big old hippie punk movement, but you know, how that happened is, is being here in West Texas, it was a yearning to be all. And, and with pop culture, with lifestyles of the times of the 70s, it kind of did create the hippie punk cowboy in a way. You had, you, you, had, uh, you had drugstore cowboy, you had urban cowboy, you had Lukenbach, Texas, you had the doors, you had hippies, you had it all. And everybody was getting along. And I used to go to Austin, Texas as a child. That was our vacation spot. Well, I was a hippie punk cowboy before I even knew it. But whenever I was 19, I, I basically left small town Texas because the, my small town was killed, basically dying because of the, uh, the asset reallocation that was going on in the 80s of the farms and ranches in the United States. You had Willie Nelson, you had Farm Aid, you had all these things. You had the savings and loan industry. In the 70s, I had you know gas shortages. We had a monetary reset. So it gave you a, a, a form of a rebellion. And, and that's something I've always had. I've always been a rebel. And it wasn't anything that was conscience. It was just my upbringing, being around that type of pop culture, these type of men that came with integrity in the cowboy way. I found out that a lot of, you know, the hippie punk cowboys that I've known in my life, they're all basically the same person. They just express it in different ways. And me being in Austin, Texas, when I was 19, I had $125 in my pocket. I knew one person. I didn't, uh, our family was bankrupt. My small town was bankrupt. I didn't have a car. I was done, man. This is how I got to start my adulthood was on 6th Street in Austin, Texas. It started with a music scene. It started in the entertainment business and it started something that I took from my hometown, a form of a farm tough that had a little punk rock to it. And so in Austin during the 90s, what a beautiful time to be in Austin, Texas. You know, the, the, the wall had come down. I was young. Uh, the world was in front of us. Everything, because I grew up with communism. You know, I grew up thinking I was going to get nuked. You know, that's what they used to teach back then is that we were all going to get fried. And so once that freedom happened, then you had a lot of social movements that took a lot of uh, engineering to do. But I had a very core belief system and one of each one of those cultures, those pop cultures, and I was able to take a little bit from every one of them and kind of stir it into my adulthood. And it gave me a sense of rebellion against academic America banking. And basically, I, I basically used it to steward my life. And my life has been a form of play ever since. I never did get indoctrinated. And if I did, it was it was in a fun way and not a way of control. And that's how I basically embedded myself into the technology industry. I didn't take it serious. I was just so fascinated on the possibilities. And so that's another story. But, you know, being in deep, deep tech and how I was able to introduce myself into the big tech scene at the time, that was right before, you know, the beginning of the dot-com boom. I was part of that. So I see technology in a lot of different ways than the younger generations out there. And that's allowed me to basically have the, uh, the, the roadmap for the Beef Initiative was my experience in big tech. I think we could all use a little more of that spirit. And uh, it, it's great. I think recommend everyone listening to check out your, your podcast as well, because you do a great job as imbuing that spirit and that passion in, into the, what you create, uh, not just as a guest on other people's podcasts, but also as, as a host of, of your own podcast. And, and when it comes to the result of that, you know, this whole story, what has culminated now in your life, working to spread the message of the beef initiative and everything that you're doing every day with that, what is, what is your vision with, with that? How does that sure. unfold? Well, what you do is you look at you, what I think, and this works very well for me. And I, I was glad when old Simon Senate came around and he really articulates it well, right? What is your why? What is your why? You know, what is your why? I think about that and I tell my team all the time, define your why, your what and the how. I learned that back in doing uh, websites in the very beginning of website development. And that was part of my journey into technology is I was a project manager. I was pretty good at it. 
and defining your why, your what, and the how is just a huge recipe for success and clarity. And so I encourage everybody to kind of follow that approach. Well, the why of the Beef Initiative is to save children's lives by giving the great American rancher a voice that they've never had in the digital space, but was also stolen out of their communities when the processing centers were taken out. So my why is to save lives. Nothing else matters. Don't get in my way. I know my why. If you're gonna ask me, I'll tell you. I'm not gonna argue anything else. And I'm gonna look at you and I'm gonna say, well, I'm here to save children's lives. Why are you here? And I get to use that because anybody that comes after me and questions me, because we have proof of work now. We've sold millions of dollars worth of beef, hopefully by this point. We've, uh, we've, uh, we're feeding families, thousands of families now. Children are now having a new consumption model from basically hopefully birth all the way into their childhood. And so we have results. What is your intention? Why are you even talking to me unless you're not having the same or do you want to collaborate? Do you have something to contribute? And so be able to define my why within the Beef Initiative, that gave me a roadmap of a, of a vision that this is like a 100 to 200 year vision is that we're going to save children's lives by basically giving the great American rancher producer a voice that they've never had. And we're going to do it with technology. We're going to borrow from the past, just like my grandfather and my great grandfather's taught me as far as living and learning how to eat the earth again. It's as simple as that. Once we do that, what is that? Well, there's no competition there, man. This is a collaboration. And so what it, the Beef Initiative is a collaboration. I will not allow any competition in the Beef Initiative. We don't talk. We don't judge. You bring to the table why you do what you do and how you do it. What is it that you do and how can we help and how can we collaborate? But you're not going to point fingers at those other ranchers. You're not going to point fingers at other people. See, that's what they taught us whenever they commoditize and subsidize our food industry. They taught the producers to butt heads instead of to collaborate. My grandfather used to work with his community. Everybody in that community made sure that they were going to, everybody has success as far as the crops they were raising and the animals that they were stewarding because it was the land that they were taking care of. By doing that, they fed their community. They didn't need doctors. They didn't need specialists. They were their own basically source of empowerment and they were their, their, their vision was clear. It was a two party line system. It was peer to peer. It was decentralized and you don't have to be big. You know, I hear Joe Rogan all the time asking people, how do we scale the regenerative? We're not trying to scale shit, man. That's what got us in trouble. What we're trying to do is replicate success after success. Maybe it's just one individual man's success. He has two to three people in his community. How'd you do it? Tell us about it. Or maybe you're like Cole Bolton that's feeding the whole state of Texas. Hey, Cole, let's tell everybody how you've done this. Or maybe it's Justin Trammell that's feeding a 30 mile radius. Quit scaling. Quit scaling your thought. Quit scaling. Replicate create a, uh, an successful model to feed your community. The number one community is you first. How are you gonna do that? Then share that. Share it and collaborate with other people and talk about the successes. Don't focus on the failures. You can talk about the failures, but how you iterate it into successes. All we're doing is replicating personal achievement. And this is what people don't understand because they automatically think, oh, we gotta go feed the world. We don't have to feed the world. That was the psyop they told our farmers and ranchers back in the early 70s. We've never fed the world. We created a distribution system of devalued food that's very highly profitable. That's what we did. And a lot of people won't want to take ownership of that or they don't even want to admit that. They don't want to accept it. And so, once again, if you can create a vision of yourself first, replicate it to a couple other people, then replicate it to a community that's larger than that. If that's enough, great. Or if you want to go around the world with it, get busy. I'm going to go around the world with replicating everything that I've done as far as the successes that we've had since day one that I wrote The Harvest of Deception. Beautiful. And that's an amazing way to, to describe 
your vision of the beef, beef initiative, the beef initiative, which is not just yeah. about beef and Bitcoin, but it's also about community. This third, this other third missing piece, where a lot of people are disconnected or lonely, and especially from the realm of where we're getting our food, but also just peer to peer, person to person. You know, families, like you mentioned, mm-hmm. have been, been broken. You know, individuals are, are stuck using the internet too much. You know, ordering DoorDash or whatever to get their food, which is yeah. a disaster for health, and it's it's just it's a rough place that we're in, but we have hope. We have exact, we have all the solutions we need right in front of us. We just need to take, take that step to move, move in the direction to tell others to, to recruit and, and get people going with that. Why, with the, what, with the, how, with those three key elements that you're describing that are going to drive humanity towards a brighter future and not the, the devastating dark place that many powerful forces are trying to get us to go to. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm, I'm deep into phil, uh, philosophical, you know, uh, studies and practices. I've been doing it my whole life. Uh, you know, I'm not a religious person. I think Jesus Christ was basically the baddest outlaw that ever existed. I think Buddha really knew a lot about suffering. And what I like about the Tao is it's the center, right? And so I like to look at the Beef Initiative as the center. It's, it's, it's something you can't really explain, but if you can if you can start from the center of the Beef Initiative, you're going to find a protocol that basically lets you steward something in the right direction. I told everybody on my very first podcast, they said, what's the Beef Initiative? I said, well, it's an international lifestyle you just don't understand yet. And, well, what do you mean by that? Well, I don't know, man. Get to the source of the seed of uh, you know who you are. Let's do some accountability reflection and an accountability mirror, and then you're going to steward something out of the beef initiative that's going to lead you in a direction that you didn't know was a possibility because it's basically a decentralized mindset that we're not allowing ourselves to have. Um, you know, within technology and the digital world, we are the most connected as far as being able to have access to each other than we've ever been in the history of mankind we're the most disconnected we've ever been. We're the loneliness loneliness we've ever been as well. The suicide rate of uh, producers and ranchers, animal producers, farmers, not only in the United States, but across the world is the worst it's ever been too as well. There's a, there's a form of centralization of thought that has occurred that people need to separate themselves from. We need to get back to basically separating our thought from a centralized form of control. Let's get back to a decentralized way of thinking first, and then basically relationship management, relationship management with other people, but also with the food. Most people across the United States have a very shitty relationship with food. You know, we're 80, 88% of us are now metabolically compromised. That is, that is scary. You know, and until we can decentralize our mindset of the why, the what, and the how that that happens, that the, we have to accept that there is an issue here. There's an issue here, folks. And just because, you know, people don't see it or people say that, ah, oh, it doesn't affect them, it doesn't really matter. They just don't see it yet. They're not feeling it yet. Or they haven't had somebody in their life basically perish because of it yet. They will. And I think a lot of people are awakening up to it, like you said at the beginning of the recording. You know, we're, we're starting to get a new awareness. What are you going to do with that awareness? Are you going to still treat food as a convenience? Food is not convenience. Food is survival. And I want to be the best that I can be through that survival mechanism. Well, get to the densest form of nutrition that you can find. What I find that is the most available across the world is animal protein, beef. And so start there. That's the source of the seed of your solution. Don't try to figure it all out from there. Create that first mindset, then create that market access, and then build from within of what you've accomplished just by getting there. And baby steps. It's progress, not perfection. And it's patience and persistence. And we've lost that because everybody wants it now, now, now. You know, we live in an instant gratification world. Ever th- three seconds, we're doing this on TikTok and Instagram. And that was by design. I was in those intelligence labs in telecommunication when we were designing dopamine. People don't know dopamine is a pleasure drug. A pleasure drug means you want more of it and more of it and more of it. Okay, serotonin now 
That's a happy drug. It's like, hey, I need to maintain this. How do I maintain this? You either gonna, you, people don't even know why they desire what they desire anymore. And that was done through the digital apparatus that we've created and through the consumption model of chemicals and fake commodities and things that taste good. Because we're, we're hitting the brain in ways with our taste now that we've never hit before. You know, sugar, screw sugar, man. We got 92 different other things they've created that act like sugar that are actually far worse than sugar that they don't even have to tell you that's in that product that you're consuming right now. And so we have to understand where we stand individually with how we've gotten to where we are as far as being metabolically bankrupt or you feel pretty good like me. I haven't had antibiotics my whole life, man. I don't take that shit. I never had to. I can lick the damn floor and not get sick. You know, that's a good place to be. That's called immunity. I'm immune to a lot of this bullshit, but I'm also immune to all the fear porn too. I laugh at it. I mock it. If it's going to happen, man, I, I don't have control, right? But I'm not going to allow it to make me scared shitless to where I consume the wrong stuff just because I need dopamine. I'm going to engineer stuff to where I'm getting a lot of serotonin because that's my happy drug. And, and that's, that's what I know from working in technology, but also working in food intelligence. I know what the difference is, and a lot of people don't, especially a lot of young men. A lot of young men don't know why they desire what they desire. That's why they have free porn. You think free porn has anything to do with bettering society? Oh my gosh. You know, what is about this? that You know, we used to have to chase women, damn it. We had to be something, man. We had to, you know, we had to be presentable. And that was a form of accountability that we've lost. And, you know, people don't do semen retention. People don't freaking wait. They don't go on that hunt anymore. Man, that hunt's the fun part, man. It's called self-improvement. It's called accountability. It's not instant gratification through a dopamine rush. It's actually through the pursuance of serotonin, serotonin, which is going to make you happier and more strong. So I can talk about all the chemicals in our brains. I can talk about all the chemicals in food. And I can talk about engineering ways to get there and which ones are going to be good for you and which ones aren't. And it, did, it wasn't learned through institutional academic America. You know, I never went to college. I, you know, I embedded myself in the University of Texas. They made me, they, they were asking too much money. So I said, nah, I'll just sit in. So I did that for about three years and I learned a lot. So I learned that I didn't want to be there. I wanted to do my own thing. I wanted to play. And we've lost the art of play in this nation. And I've been playing my whole life. I'm doing it right now. I'm glad that, that you are. And I'm glad you took that path and now have the tremendous amount of wisdom that you've shared with me just in this short time and that you continue to share with the world. It's, it's awesome stuff. And everything that I've sort of taken away from, from this past conversation, we, we've got you know, an amazing outline of the deception that, that hopefully everyone listening, I believe, will now be more invigorated to not validate that deception, but to get to the source of the seed, to embrace their own why, to take an action towards creating that, that better future through local food and through community, everything that you're working to share out this, this strong, powerful light that is quite dim if you look out into the eyes of most people walking around, but it's strong in your eyes. And I'm catching some of that and we're sharing it out as best we can. So hopefully everyone listening is catching a piece of that so that they can go and then shine that light and move towards the direction that, that we need to, to move to. And I've, I've appreciated the arc of this conversation. It's been deep and powerful. Is there, is there anything else that you'd like to share? Yeah. One thing that people need to understand, especially about technology right now, you know, the tech, I have a podcast out there and it's called the Cowboys history of the internet. It's boring as shit if you allow it to be boring, but it's also very insightful. And it talks about the beginning days of the internet and the internet's captured folks. There is no internet. You're playing on like a sixth layer of what used to be the internet. Right now, you're just playing in these indexes that have full control over you. Your, your authentication, your banking, all that was designed by these multinational corporations that now basically control most of the money, most of the big tech, the technocrats, everything. Until you understand that what's going on on the internet, you're just in an index and they don't want you to escape that index 
but you can escape the index. But you got to decentralize your mindset first. You got to get more to a peer-to-peer -peer way of living that has been authenticated and it's been verified through you, not somebody else telling you. It goes with food and it goes with your content on the internet. You know, start from scratch, folks, because if you don't, the new layer of the internet's coming. There will be something called a cyber polygon, a 9-11 of the internet. And it's a form of uh, basically a new form of verification that they'll be wanting your eyeball scans, they'll be wanting your facial recognition. All of this is leading to a centralization of, uh, of content, of communications, and of money. You know, the digital yuan is the Chinese currency, it's a CBDC. Uh, you know, basically, they use facial recognition. It expires if you don't use it. This is what they're going to do. They will have success with this in the United States. And for all the young people out there, you want to get rich with, with what currency? The currency that they just printed, I don't know, 19 trillion that has no value. It's a facade. Where is your wealth? My wealth is in my health right now. My wealth is in my freedom to be able to maneuver and have a market access to those things that give me serotonin, not dopamine, man. And if you can do that as an individual, that's a great, basically, start. And, and, and people way too much input into our brains right now stop it to yourself filter this outside world who's to say all this political bullshit that we're going through right now and most of the nefarious crap that they're pumping through the internet how do you know that's not a production how do you know that's even reality you don't you don't why are you consuming it in the bitcoin space they say do not trust until you verify okay if you're a bitcoiner all of you, <laughs> if you are eating something and you have not verified whatever one of those vastly long names is on that package and you're trusting that because of a label, nah, man, that's weak. That's rent-seeking, man. I've refused to rent-seek my life. And if there is things that I'm rent-seeking, I'm trying to improve it every day of my life. And, you know, and that's something I shoot for. This is not a black and white game. It's very gray. And this is not something that you need to be, you know, feeling daunted about. Everybody has their entry point. Figure out what it is first before you pursue it. And make sure it's not some LARPy-ass motard on YouTube trying to tell you that you're going to be a bro because you do his protocol of whatever. This is an individual thing that basically builds out as an individual, but then therefore you can broadcast it globally. Do your own work. Then be proud of your own work. Go find people that want to hear, that you can help mentor and steward, and that's your secret to success. That's your wealth. And if we can do that, all of us, and we can have that mindset first, things will get better. It starts within. It doesn't. It's not out there, man. It, it, it isn't has nothing to do with what's going on in the outside world. This is nothing new in humanity. We've always enslaved each other in different forms of fashion. It's new to us. History, it rhymes. And so you just just get used to it, accept it, and then, and then move forward accordingly. Don't be a rent seeker. <laughs> be a pioneer. Be a pioneer. Powerful. Decentralize your mindset get to the source of the seed. Yep. Do not validate the deception. Everything that you're saying resonates deeply with me. I want everyone to listen, find Texas Slim, find the Beef Initiative. It'll be, all the links will be down below. Give this guy a follow and tune in, tune in and help out. Yes. Everything that you're sharing is, is is powerful. And I really appreciate it. The, the time that you spent with me today. This was, this was an awesome conversation. You bet. Texas Slim. Thank you. Hey, man. Yeah, I appreciate the patience. We tried to do it yesterday. I got kind of uh, bombarded. But, you know, one thing I want people to do is go to the beefinitiative.com, beefinitiative.com. The Beef Initiative is not a marketing plan. Know the difference. The Beef Initiative is not a competition to try to sell more beef than the next rancher. We are the beef industry and it's de decentralized. You know, be a, be a marketing arm for a rancher. Go out there and talk about a rancher. And say, hey, man, I found this dude through the Beef Initiative. Never used him, but look, he's here in South Dakota. Why don't you guys in South Dakota call him up? Do something. Serve. Be a servant leader first. And if you can do that, you know, you're going to start hearing the story like we were talking about with the Harvest of Deception. 
Well, we're going to release everything from day one and we've revamped our substack. We're going to have four different substacks now. We're going to have the Beef Initiative has, is basically a whole new platform now. We have an index. It's got over 180 producers in there. Sign up at beefinitiative.com and you're going to get our newsletter. You're going to get access to all the ranchers and producers that came in voluntarily over the last two years. This is a call to action to everybody. Sign up with the Beef Initiative. Spread it, send it, and live it. And I guarantee you, if it doesn't improve your life, call me out and say, this sucks. I want to know. I'll answer to anything, man. I'm going to take all spears and arrows from here on out. If we're doing something wrong, let us know. We'll iterate. This is not a marketing plan. I started this. I liquidated my life. I don't own a car. I don't own a home. Everything I do is through partnerships, collaboration, and it's done through the Beef Initiative, which is my lifestyle. And so we're in it to win it, just like the multinational corporations are. And everybody can come along and everybody can collaborate. So find your place. That's what I encourage everybody to do. Thanks, Case, for having me on today, man. I appreciate it. Awful. Thank you, Texas Sim. All right. Take care, brother. <laughs>